And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is I missed this shot, I'll walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Select. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $1 a month for six months. The All-Star break, it was here, now it's gone, and we're back into the NBA. Boy, it was a, it was a very, very interesting night of basketball. But Alex, tell me what happened in the NBA this week. Well, Andrew, it all started last Friday night in Salt Lake City, the site of this year's All-Star Weekend. First up was the Celebrity Game and the Rising Stars competition. In the Rising Stars, Team Pau Gasol beat Team Joakim Noah in the finals. Team Pau featured Rising Stars MVP Jose Alvarado, who scored nine straight in their first game. And then the final, Alvarado bet Donovan Mitchell, who was sitting courtside, that he would hit the game winner, (laughs) and he did. On Saturday, we had the skills competition, the three-point contest, and of course, the dunk contest. The skills competition definitely happened. In the three-point contest, Damian Lillard took home the trophy on his third try in the event after beating two Pacers, Tyrese Halliburton, and former winner Buddy Heald in the final round. The dunk contest was the star of the weekend as Delaware Blue Coat and Sixers two-way player Mac McClung stole the show with four impressive dunks all made on his first attempt, while Trey Murphy proved to be a worthy competitor as well with several nice dunks of his own. Now, after the high of Saturday night, the only thing left to do was play the actual game, which brings us to Sunday night. We're in the pregame draft. Giannis, as team captain, selected three-point contest winner Damian Lillard with his first pick, while LeBron took Anthony Edwards. Now, in an effort to avoid embarrassing anyone who would be picked last, the NBA had the captains select the reserves first before moving on to the starters. However, Some fans who are paying close attention realize that you could still figure out who was picked last based on who was picked last. In the end, it didn't really matter who picked who because the game was a marathon of uncontested layups and threes, mercifully ending when Damian Lillard hit a game-winning three to reach the target score in the fourth quarter. Jason Tatum was the game's MVP, putting up 55-10-6. Those 55 points are an all-star game record, Andrew, passing Anthony Davis, who put up 52 in the 2017 game. Now on Monday, buyout season was in full swing. Kevin Love, who was bought out by the Cavs, signed with Eastern Conference rival the Miami Heat. Love appeared in 41 games for Cleveland this season, averaging 8-7 while shooting 35% from three. Unclear how big of an impact we should expect Kevin Love to make in Miami, but it is a low-risk gamble for a team that has struggled to find a consistent backup big rotation. 
The Heat are currently 32 and 27, seventh in the East, a half game back from the safety of the sixth spot. On Tuesday, it was announced that Atlanta Hawks had dismissed head coach Nate McMillan. While McMillan was a respectable 99 and 70 across three seasons with Atlanta, there were issues. For one, the Hawks are in the midst of a second straight disappointing season, this one coming after the big trade for DeJounte Murray this summer. In addition, there had been reports from The Athletic in December that the Hawks were working through issues between McMillan and star Trey Young, and that McMillan had, quote, strongly considered resigning at that time. Shams reported this week that Atlanta has started formal formal discussions with former jazz coach Quinn Snyder. On Wednesday, we had another big-name buyout guy find a new home, Russell Westbrook, formerly of the Lakers, signed with the Los Angeles Clippers, teaming up with former teammate Paul George. Now, the Clippers' title odds slightly decreased after the signing, reflecting the skepticism around Westbrook following his eventful stint with the Lakers. The Clippers have moved up to fourth in the West before the All-Star break. They're only a game and a half back of the Kings, who they happen to play this Friday night. You will already know the answer to the question, will Russ start or will he come off the bench? By the time you hear this, and finally on Thursday, basketball was back and no game was more entertaining than Sixers-Grizzlies. Two teams fighting for seeding at the top of their respective conferences. The Sixers got down by 15 points in the first quarter, but slowly chipped away with the help of Joel Embiid, who despite an illness, put up 27-19-6 with six blocks. Tobias Harris hit the go-ahead three with 39 seconds left, helping the Sixers move to 39-19. and They remain in the third spot in the East, a full two games behind the Bucks in second, but they have started to build a cushion between themselves and the Cavs, who now sit three games behind the Sixers in fourth. What a week it was, Andrew. What a week. Yeah. Uh, are you a Sixers believer, Al? No, Andrew. No. I mean, <laughs> I, I would say more than I have been in past years. It's just that yeah. I'm more of a believer in the Celtics and even the Bucks to some extent, yeah. depending how, how Chris Middleton ends up looking. So, yeah, I, I do. Th- I, I believe in the Sixers more than I did last year. Like they, They've yeah. been really good. I don't know if I've bought in, in them in them to the extent that I would like predict them to go to the finals. I know, I know. It, you you at least hope that they can get to the conference finals because like there's a, just so many rumblings. There were rumblings in Salt Lake about just the undoing of the Sixers, like completely, like Embiid completely. And so that's just one to watch. I, I and so I I'm, have you been paying attention? Like all the you know hard into Houston stuff. Obviously, it uh-huh. came up at, around on Christmas Day because of Woj. Right. But just then, within like the last two weeks. There's been like multiple people in the know who've brought it up again. Mm-hmm. Like Kelly Eco brought it up. Uh, yep. uh, Tim McMahon brought it up. Yep. I found that very interesting, Andrew. What's going yeah. on? Yeah. There's a lot of that surfacing in conversation in, uh, in Salt Lake as well. And so it's juicy. Yeah, you just, juicy. You just wonder. You just wonder. And like the Joel Embiid sweepstakes would be, there'd be some juice behind that for sure. I know there'd be a lot of teams vying for uh that big man services so um talking about conference finalists i wanted to uh to to take a look back and maybe try to figure out who are our conference finals contenders here and what are the exceptions to this rule so we i actually went over this last year uh but the average conference finalist is fourth in net rating 
the average is sixth in offense and eighth in defense. So that's about where a conference finalist is with regards to offensive, defensive, and net rating. So let's look at the exceptions to this rule. So here are six teams that have had below average offenses and still made it to the conference finals. So the 2012 Celtics had the 24th Mm. ranked offense, but still had the second ranked defense. That was the The last year of the big three, right? Correct. Yep. The 2013 Pacers were 19th in offense, but first in defense. Yes. The 2013 Grizzlies were 18th in offense, second in defense. The 2014 Pacers were 21st in offense, but first in defense. There's a, there's a little trend here. The 2018 Celtics were 18th in offense, but second in defense. And last year's Golden State Warriors were 17th in offense, but second in defense going into the NBA playoffs. So you have to be elite, elite defensively if so, you're going to have a below average offense. Yeah, in order to to buy, like for the offense just to not matter, it's like you got to get stops. And also, like having Steph Curry also helps quite a bit for teams like the Warriors last year. Uh, what about the below average defenses? Like, how many of these teams made the conference finals? Uh, the 2021 Hawks were 18th in defense, but they were ninth in offense. Mm. The 2020 Nuggets were 16th in defense, fifth in offense. The 2019 Blazers were 16th in defense, but third in offense. The 2018 Cavaliers were 29th, 29th in defense and made the NBA Finals, which is just absolutely wild. They were fifth in offense, but this is also just like they had LeBron. And Right. Yeah, and those other ones are interesting as well because obviously the, the Nuggets one was in the bubble when they came back twice. Yep. Yep. To, to make it to the next round. The Atlanta Hawks run, we obviously... <laughs> we know. The, the we well-chronicled Bill Sim- Ben Simmons won't dunk and the Hawks win. Yeah. And, and even the Blazers run, I mean, that was when Dirk was out for the postseason. We, of course, thought, oh, this is going to be a layup against the Thunder. I know. You have the Dame shot, then they go on, and they end up getting swept by Golden State, but they still made the conference finals that year. Yeah, yeah. And then 2017 Cavs were 21st in defense. 2015 Cavs were 18th in defense. Uh, These are just like LeBron things happening. Um, And so I just thought, let's let's take a look at who we think are the contenders and do they meet criteria for these exceptions if they do struggle in offense or defense. So Eastern Conference is pretty easy. There aren't honestly aren't that many teams that I would put in this bucket of can make the conference finals. So Celtics are fourth in defense, third in offense. Obviously, that's Easy. a that's a that's a pretty great resume right there. The 76ers, they're sixth in defense and eighth in offense. Like they that's isn't that exactly the averages that you get? They us? they have the resume for a conference finalist, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. So just throwing that out there. And then Cleveland is the only other so there's only three teams that have a top ten offense and a top ten defense in the NBA, and the Cavs are the third team. First in defense, 10th in offense. And so then we look at Milwaukee. Milwaukee is 23rd in offense, but second in defense. So they kind Ooh. of match. Yeah, they, they kind match of match the teams. They match the exception to that. And they also have the superstar in Giannis. So it's not obviously it it's not they're second in the East. It's not like it's like, oh, it's not far fetched if they make the conference finals. Like, of, of course. But we're just talking about like resume here, like it's been done 
many times over that a team with a not great offense but a great defense can get to the conference finals. And then I just kind of believe in the Bucs. Um, and then I think those four teams, honestly, I think the conference finals will be within those four. But then Miami, like you just can't ignore Miami. They made the conference finals last year. So I just can't ignore them. They are 26th in offense, but 5th in defense. So they don't quite have the the same resume as all these other teams that had bad offenses because the other ones were like first or second in defense, like the very best. And so they're fifth in defense. And so I I just, maybe this is finally the year where it's like, okay, Miami's not going to actually do this again this year. But who knows? Like Embiid gets hurt like he has in the past and Miami the the door could be open again for Miami so I kind of have them in this tier below those four teams uh any disagreements or any additions that you would make to this list no obviously you left out uh our uh team of the week the Toronto Raptors um uh, they won three in a row with Yaka Pirtle <laughs> it hasn't swayed you at all that's fine no big deal yeah, yeah um yeah. no th- those are the four teams I would pick for the conference finals yeah. with Miami kind of hanging out there have to respect them, but sure. whether or not I actually believe in them or would pick them. I don't know. I'm not there yet. Yeah. They have a completely even point differential at zero. That's cool. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. That's, that's kind of cool. Okay. The West, the West is just more complicated, man. Like my list is probably too big. <laughs> How many of teams teams that could potentially make the conference? So I have my top four that it's like, okay, these are the most reasonable conference finals contenders. Memphis, third in defense, 17th in offense. They're close enough to the exceptions, right? Like you could see them bumping up to like first or second by the time this is all over in defense and then their offensive rating could improve. We'll see. Uh, Denver, they're first in offense, 13th in defense, which is kind of what they've done in the in the past, but like their offense has just been way better. The Clippers are 21st in offense, 11th in defense. And we think of them as a conference finals contender. Some people think they could get to the finals. Obviously, you just mentioned the, the Russ uh, issue that they're going to have, like can they can he be a guy that just plays like second and third quarters is he going to start are they actually going to finish games with him i don't know we just don't really know what's going to happen there i do think that there's room for russ to help but do they have they honestly there's not somebody with their resume in offense and defense that has made the conference finals like there's just not an exception there that's with a uh, offense and defense outside the top 10. So they've got time to improve that between now and then. But if they made the conference finals, it would be the, it would be almost the ultimate exception because so it just why, hasn't, So why even include them in your, your top four? It just hasn't happened. Sounds like they should be in another tier, Andrew. I just believe in Kawhi Leonard, I guess. Mm, I think you got to bump him down, Andrew. I just... <laughs> I just believe in Kawhi Leonard. I think Paul George is very good, but you could make the case that you bump that you can bump them out of here. Uh, and then the Suns. Now the Suns are they're eighth in defense, eighteenth in offense. 
but you're adding Kevin Durant. <laughs> so like, what are we supposed to actually do with the numbers from beforehand? Like, I don't know, probably not much, uh, but they're definitely a top, a conference finals contender. Now, looking at these other teams, like the, the Warriors are the glaring one that it's like, okay, like our, are we really going to pick against the Warriors again? And I would say that the people that aren't don't really take into account that like this was the second best defense in the NBA last year. And that's not been the case this year. You know what they are this year? 20th in defense. 20th in defense and 12th in offense. You just want to give them the benefit of the doubt. They just won the title. They still have their big three in place. But honestly, I I don't know that I can actually put them in this. Just because they don't, not only do they not have the resume, they have been missing, they're going to be missing Steph for a big chunk of time. Is he going to be ready for the playoffs? Like, is everybody else (laughs) going to be ready to go? I don't know. Uh, They're playing, they're trying to play young guys. They're, the GP2 situation is very weird. There's just there's just so much there that just makes me think like maybe we're believing a little bit too much in the Warriors just from stuff in the past because they would be a big exception to this rule too. Just like the I mean even more so than the Clippers. Like it's just like they they actually have almost the exact same resume that the Clippers do where it's like okay, they haven't done anything to this point that sh- that you should actually believe in them to be a conference finalist. Yeah, what I think's interesting about this is, you know, in the moment, it's so easy to make excuses for some of these teams. Like, you can look at Phoenix and say, well, Devin Booker was out a super long time. Like, that's that obviously mm-hmm. affected their offensive and defensive ratings. You can mm-hmm. say the same thing about the Clippers. Like, Kawhi wasn't playing a lot at the beginning of the season. That affected it. Same thing with Golden State. But the fact is, when you look back at history, like, there were teams that suffered injuries that at the time you would have said the same thing about. And based on what you're telling us, it sounds like when it gets down to it, it's still those teams that are at least elite at one thing over the Mm -hmm. course of the regular season. So based on history, it would seem maybe we should be more willing to rule some of these teams out, even if it's very easy to come up with good excuses for them. Yeah. I mean, there's over the last decade, like, how many different injuries and things have happened right. to all these different teams. Like, it's just not, they, they can't just be the exception on because they've had, like everybody's has injuries. Like every team deals with it. And so you look and, at them. And maybe and some just, of these teams will be able to improve like Phoenix over this yeah. stretch run. Booker come Booker's back. KD comes back. Maybe everything just clicks. And by the end of the season, they're looking, they have that kind of resume. Yeah. Um, so, so it's probably too early to count anyone out, but yeah, yeah, I'm not counting. How- I'm yeah, the Phoenix stuff. I could, I'm leaving them in like my top four just because yeah. I believe that they yeah. have like that upward mobility, and even the Clippers to a degree have some upward mobility. Oh, big Russ believer. Uh, I'm just a big Kawhi Leonard and Paul George believer. Like I just think that those guys win basketball games, and so th- they could go up, and their their resume could look a little bit better. Um, then you look at the Mavericks, too. They're 23rd in defense, but 6th in offense. There have been teams that look like that, uh, but most of them have LeBron on them. <laughs> you know. Right. And so, like, 
is Luca enough? And he showed last year. I mean, no one was really thinking the Mavericks going to the conference finals at this time last year. And so, oh, like, I mean, they were they were uh, one of our turnaround team picks. They were. They did. Yeah, that that was your turnaround team. And I don't know. I I just I wonder a little bit about them. And then like you've got like these guys that are kind of lingering around like New Orleans. Like I. The Kings are 22nd in defense and second in offense. Like there have been teams that have kind of looked like that also, but those are just more of a stretch for me. Um, but I did think that like New Orleans and the Kings are, like worth mentioning just because they've both had great seasons so far. Um, but I guess if I were to like really like tear this out, I would still say Memphis, Denver, Clippers, Suns as like my top four. And then like everybody else could have a puncher's chance, but you know, history says that those would be the kind of teams that would make the conference finals. And, and one thing that is unique that we should, that we've talked about before is that this season of the Western conference just does not look like Western conferences of seasons past. There yeah. is not the overwhelming favorite as there has sometimes been in the past or, or even like one or two teams. So maybe this is the year where you have the exception where the offensive defensive rating doesn't necessarily match up with history. Yeah, yeah. Five games separate the Thunder, who are at 11th, and the Kings, who are at third. Yeah. Well, I so wanted to talk about uh, one of your teams that you mentioned in your top tier, which mm-hmm. is uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, who have struggled mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. Uh, about mid-January. After yep. tying a franchise record with 11 straight wins on January 18th, they've gone 4-10 and 10 in the subsequent 14 games, including the loss to the Sixers that I mentioned. The three best players, John Morant, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., have played most of the games during that poor stretch. They've only missed a combined five games between those three guys. Steven Adams, however, Andrew, has missed their last 12 games, bringing up the question of just how important is Steven Adams to this Grizzlies team? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, anyone who has followed this Grizzlies team over the last couple of years, you kind of know what their deal is. They are a team that has not yet figured out their half-court offense, but is really good cleaning up their own misses. So last season, they were the 22nd ranked half-court offense, according to Cleaning the Glass, but they were number one in points per miss. Hmm. Similarly, this season, the Grizzlies are once again the 22nd ranked half-court, but are top 10 in points per miss. A big reason for that being the offensive rebounding prowess of Steven Adams. According to Cleaning the Glass, when Adams is on the court, the percentage of offensive rebounds the Grizzlies collect increases by 10.1%, which is in the 99th percentile of all players in the NBA. Pre-Adams injury, the Grizzlies were grabbing 13.4 offensive rebounds per game, which was number one in the league. Those extra possessions helped them take 93 field goal attempts per game, which was also number one in the league. Since he exited the lineup, however, their offensive rebounds have dropped to 10th overall in the league, and their field goal attempts per game have dropped to 12th. Hmm. They're also, you know, they're getting less opportunities. And unfortunately, it's not like their half-court offense has taken some leap with Adams out. The half-court offense is still ranked 18th without Adams during this stretch. And on defense, it's a similar story. Pre-Adams injury, the Grizzlies grabbed 35.5 defensive rebounds per game, second in the league. In the last 12 games, they have fallen all the way to 24th in the league without Steven Adams. Now, it's hard to say that Adams is the only reason for the Grizzlies' bad stretch. They did lose the last two games he played, which was at the start of this 4-10 and run. 
but he clearly has an outsized impact on how the team wants to play and how they have succeeded these last couple seasons, which got me thinking about other guys in the league who might be similar to Steven Adams, which brings yeah. us to the Steven Adams All-Stars. Now, this is a very <laughs> special group of folks. To make the team, the Steven Adams All-Star team, you have to meet two criteria. First, you cannot be an All-Star. You can't be a fringe All-Star. Your name can never be brought up when it comes to the All-Star <laughs> game. Okay, No one ever talks about you when you it comes to the All-Star You don't have a seat at the game. table. Yeah. Yes. No one's even mentioning you as like, uh, oh, we should also consider this guy. No, those guys are out. Okay. Okay. Second, if you miss extended time, your team gets significantly worse or, or, or I think that your team would get significantly worse. Now that could be uh-huh. because you are a great player or it could be because the options behind you are not great. I was looking at the Grizzlies last season, as a matter of fact, they were five and one in games that Steven Adams missed last year. Now, part of that could be small sample. But they also had Kyle Anderson as another option off the bench who, yeah, yeah, he doesn't play anything like Steven Adams, but he is a trusted vet off the bench in comparison to some of their bench options this season. So, okay. So uh, I'm going to name the Steven Adams all-star starting lineup, Andrew. Uh, Steven Adams, obviously the captain of the team. He's on the squad. The team's named after him. So we need to pick four other players to join him in the starting lineup. And we're going to start with the backcourt. Our first starter. And the Steven Adams All-Stars is, from the Orlando Magic, Markel Fultz. Oh, I like this already. Now, we've talked about the Fultz effect before, and it is happening again this season. When Fultz missed yeah. the beginning of this season with an injury, the Magic yeah. started off 5-16. and 16. Insert Fultz back in the lineup. The Magic have been 20-19 and 19 sits since, and that fits right into the narrative that has been building over these last couple of years. In fact... When Fultz has played for the Magic, their record with him in the lineup, and this is not just when he's starting, it's also off the bench, 65 and 72. Without him, they are 36 and 114. That's a 47% winning percentage versus a 24% winning percentage. And by the way, if you haven't looked lately, he is having an awesome season. Career highs in points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks per game while also posting a career high 55% true shooting. Uh, J. Kyle Mann of The Ringer made a great video this past week about the Magic, and he brought up the idea that Fultz is clearly a superior player to Ben Simmons at this point, which is kind of uh, wild to think about when looking at their career arcs. Fultz is Absolutely what the Steven Adams All-Stars are all about. So he had to be a starter. Now, the yeah. other starter in the backcourt for the Steven Adams All-Stars is from the Chicago Bulls, Lonzo Ball. Now, this is a sad one, Andrew, oh, uh, because boy. Lonzo was just ruled out for the rest of the season. He yeah. still hasn't come oh, back from the injury he suffered last season. Yeah. Uh, that said, this season has been further proof of the importance he had for this Bulls team. Since joining the Bulls last season, Chicago is 22-13 and 13 in the games he played in. Without him, they've gone 50-53. and 53. That's winning 63% of your games versus 49%. And it's hard to overstate how much Lonzo brought to this Bulls team. His three-point shooting would certainly be helpful for a team taking the fewest threes per game in the league. His yeah. ability to get out in transition would be very nice for the Bulls. Did you know mm-hmm. that when he was playing, according to Cleaning Glass, the Bulls were the second-ranked transition offense in the league, which dropped to 13th last year after he got injured, and this season is all the way down to 19th. His playmaking would help. His perimeter defense would help. Lonzo's skill set was almost perfectly suited for this Bulls team, and so it's a huge bummer that he still seems so far away from returning. 
One consolation, not much of a consolation, is that he is a starter for the Steven Adams All-Star team. <laughs> okay, let's move to the front court. We got two more names. Our third starter from the Indiana Pacers, Miles Turner. Oh. Now, Turner is having a career year for the Pacers. He's averaging career highs in points and rebounds per game, shooting career highs from the field and from three. He's almost having a 50-40-80 season. Did you know? Wow. He has played know. in 51 of the Pacers' 61 games. They are 23-28 and 28 with him, 3-7 and seven in those 10 games without him. According to Cleaning the Glass, the Pacers are a plus 9.5 when he is on the court compared to when he's off, which is in the 92nd percentile of all NBA players. Now, it should be mentioned that this selection uh, it's a, is much about how great he has been this season as it is about the options the Pacers have when he's out of the lineups. Mm-hmm. So when he has missed games, they've played Jalen Smith, who is now barely in the rotation. They've tried Isaiah Jackson, who has been in and out of the lineup. They're now playing Daniel Tice minutes, Andrew, mm-hmm. when Turner isn't there. Yeah. It's not a pretty scene once you get beyond Turner, which certainly helps his candidacy for the Steven Adams All-Stars, but he's been great and has been one of the reasons why the Pacers have already hit their over. Preseason over-under was 24 and a half wins. They're already over, Andrew. They're good. Which brings us to our final starter on the Steven Adams All-Star team from the Milwaukee, from, from the Milwaukee Bucks. Sorry, I couldn't get Milwaukee out of my mouth. From the Milwaukee Bucks. Mr. Brook Lopez. Yeah. Now, uh, he's, he's perfect for this team, Andrew. He's in his he he might have had a seat at an all-star table at one point this season. That's true. And he actually was an all-star once upon a time. But yeah, yeah. I'm thinking more, you know, late era Brook Lopez. Sure. He's in his fifth season with the Bucks. In the regular season during that span, the Bucks have been 209 and 80 when he has played, 45 wow. and 33 when he has sat. That's 72% of your wins or winning of your games versus winning 58% of your games. Wow. Last season, when he only played 13 games in the regular season, it was a great example of how the Bucks could still be a good team without him, but they're mm-hmm. just so much better with him in the lineup. And part of that is that you have this seven-foot rim protector who can hit 37% of his threes on five attempts per game, but it's also about that rim protection. Eric Name mm-hmm. of The Athletic, we know, friend of the show, in my opinion, Chops. the definitive article about Lopez's rim protection. He wrote it back in August 2020. If you've never read that piece, it is worth searching out. By the way, Lopez is averaging 2.4 blocks per game this season, which is third in the NBA. Uh, Now, what makes that number more impressive than just the fact that he's third is that you factor in his age. He's 34, about to turn 35 in April. According to StatHead, there have only been nine players in NBA history who have averaged at least that many blocks per game at the age of 34 or older. And the only guys on that list are all-time blocksmen, Andrew. We got Hakeem, Matumbo, Ewing, Kareem, Duncan, Alonzo Mourning, and Mark Eaton. That's the list. Wow. He is in rarefied wow. air as a he rim protector there. at his age, well-deserving of his place on the Stephen Adams All-Stars. So that is the starting lineup. Markel Fultz, Alonzo Ball, Miles Turner, Brooke Lopez, and of course, Stephen Adams, captain of the Stephen, Stephen, Stephen Adams All-Star team. Uh, I'm sure I missed some great names. So if you do have any nominations for the squad, I mean, I only I only yeah. came up with the starters. Let me know. You know, I don't know if you have any off the top of your head, Andrew, but you know, there's room on this team. Uh, if we could hop in the time machine to 2018, I would have put Andre Robertson. In yeah, this, I uh, in this I almost brought him up as an example of it because you know that was the team with uh, Russ, Carmelo, and PG. They started playing great right around like mid-December into January. Robertson mm-hmm. gets hurt, and the team just 
falls apart. Just, yeah. Just disintegrates yeah. because they don't have Andre Robertson. I think that was the season they later brought in Corey Brewer. It is. Uh, I remember it one is. night I had a few too many beers and, and he was having a nice game <laughs> and I, I almost bought a Corey Brewer jersey, uh, which would have been a, a poor decision in retrospect. I'm glad I was talked out of that. But yeah, uh, Robertson would definitely uh, qualify in the past. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was incredible for them. Uh, shout out to the backwards man, Corey Brewer, who looks like his body is literally on backwards. The drunken dribbler. Uh, very much enjoyed the stylings of Corey Brewer <laughs> that year. Uh, someone else that I enjoy the stylings of is our guy, Eric Kareen. We're going to talk to him about the Raptors right after this quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Andrew, it is time once again for the Wheel of Fandom, the weekly segment where we spin a digital wheel that lands on a team and we become fans of that team. Two weeks ago, we spun the wheel and it landed on the Toronto Raptors. Now, the Raptors at the time were fresh off a trade deadline that saw them not move any of their guys. Instead, they made a trade for Yaka Pertle, who returned to Toronto after having been traded away in the Kawhi deal a few seasons ago. The Raptors are 3-1 in their first four games with Pirtle, moving them to 29-31 on the season, ninth in the East, a game and a half back from the eighth seed. Andrew, if our favorite team is the Raptors this week, who is our guest? Oh, it's our guy Eric Kareen from The Athletic. Eric, how's it going, man? I'm doing all right. How are you guys? Uh, doing great. Uh, Eric, this is the second Pirtle era in Toronto. The Raptors are 3-1, and one, and with those three wins coming over Detroit, Orlando, and New Orleans, how easy has the fit with Pirtle been so far, and where has he helped his team the most? I don't think we were calling the first Pirtle era the Pirtle era, so, so that, that's, uh, that's the biggest difference, maybe. But uh, yeah, and, and like to be frank, they should be 4-0, and oh, the, the first game in which he only played 15 or 16 minutes and got five fouls, like... Yeah they absolutely blew in a game against Utah who had just traded yep. half of their rotation basically. And, and they yep. had control of that game all game. And then, you know, had, a, had another disheartening loss, uh, mm -hmm. on, you know, to put on the mountain of disheartening losses this year. <laughs> uh, but, you know, to answer your actual question, Pirtle has fit in beautifully for this team, you know, all, all season long, it has been apparent how much, you know, a team full of capable, aggressive defenders and, and a coach who wants his perimeter defenders to be aggressive needed that backbone of, of a capable rim protector or at least deterrent to some degree so that, you know, if you do take a chance and it doesn't work out exactly as you wanted, there's somebody to 
you know, decrease the chances of, you know, somebody getting right to the rim. And, you know, all you have to do is look at the on-off numbers. I don't know what they are after the uh, the latest game after the break, uh, but they were quite staggering after the first three games uh, on both ends. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the bigger the sample gets, the smaller those numbers will get. But like, you know, he's he had 30 in the last game before the break and then had 21 and 18 uh, and more offensive rebounds than the entire Pelicans team. And the Pelicans don't lack for size, even without Zion Williamson. So that's, yeah. uh, you know, and without Fred Van Vliet in that game, his he had four straight baskets, three of which uh, were just put back. So uh, the Raptors offense was looking like the half-court Raptors offense sometimes looks, and, and he helped them get over the finish line. Uh, so in short, he's been... You know, you, you can question the merits of the trade, the question of giving up a first round pick uh, for this team. And I'm sure we'll get into that. But the fit has been excellent. So you wrote an article about the five questions that are going to decide this Raptor season. And one of those questions was, what changes does Nick Nurse make in the season's final quarter? Uh, one change was Jeff Doughton playing almost 20 minutes and ahead of Malachi Flynn in the first game after the All-Star break. Have you noticed any other changes he's trying out, either with the rotation or schematically? Well, it's sort of hard to say because, you know, this the, the game against New Orleans, uh, it was supposed to be OG Ananobi had missed uh, the previous nine games with a sprained wrist and Thaddeus Young had been out and Gary Trent had been out. And finally, this was supposed to be with Pirtle, like the fullest, the healthiest the Raptors were going to be. And then Van Vliet doesn't play against the Pelicans because of personal reasons. And uh, uh, that moves Gary, or keeps Gary Trent, I should say, in the starting lineup and maybe necessitates Jeff Doughton playing. We don't know if Jeff Doughton would have gotten his 18, 19 minutes if Van Vliet does play in that game because uh, he was the only true quote unquote guard other than Trent to play in that game. Um, but other than that, there weren't many changes. Uh, Nick Nurse flirted with the idea of maybe using some more traditional drop back coverage, uh, mm-hmm. with Pirtle out there. And I'm guessing we'll see a bit of that, but there wasn't a ton of that on display against the Pelicans. Um, I, I think as the team, you know, as they go, deeper into the last 22 games it is now we'll, we'll see a bit more of that uh but you know with the way the defense has been performing with Pirtle out there you know it, it really does cater to a more aggressive uh defensive style and be, because you know that's where the likes of OG Ananobi and Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam sitting on the weak side maybe playing a bit of a free safety role. That's where they can really make a difference is if they are taking some risks and getting those fast breaks in order, you know, in part, I mean, obviously to get the ball, but also to avoid playing in half court, uh, you know, offensively, which is part of the reason they play so aggressively defensively. So Scotty Barnes sophomore season has been the, a, a league wide conversation uh, all year. While his early season struggles had led to some pretty wild takes in 2023, he's been a lot better. Turns out he's not a terrible player. Uh, what have been some of the factors contributing to his most imp- his most recent play over the last two months? Yeah, so if you look at his numbers since the start of January, basically, he's been a 17-7-5 guy, uh, and that's, you know, 
obviously it's well known that Nick Nurse plays his guys a lot of minutes and, and Scotty Barnes is right up there, but he's also has, you know, the highest net rating on the team that he's impacting, mm-hmm. you know, excellent play. Um, it sort of started weirdly and he won't be in this position much anymore, but it started when he was kind of the de facto center in the offense and, and he was used more as a ball screener. Uh, and that sort of got him without having him, you know, having to pound the ball and, and dribble a bunch from the perimeter or back somebody down. It got him the ball in the paint with an ability to make in, in a position to make decisions, whether it was, going right at somebody and and putting his shoulder in and going up with that sort of soft baby hook that we've seen from him time to time, whether it was seeing that the defense was tilting toward him and there was a shooter open in the corner. Uh, And while it scanned right away as uh, sort of passivity, passiveness um, at the beginning, because he was sort of overpassing and not even looking to you know, put his shoulder into bigger players like Miles Turner or Brooke Lopez, those types of centers when he was, he's guarding them. He, he sort of, each game, it sort of seemed like he figured out the the matchup and how to become more effective from that area. And I think that's just sort of got him back in the mode of finding a way into the paint, even if it's not to shoot as much. Like you look at his usage numbers, they're actually slightly down from where they were at the start of the season. You know, nothing, it's basically a wash, but it's not like he's all of a sudden being way more aggressive and taking more shots, but it's, you know, where he's getting to, what he's trying to do when he gets to the ball. Uh, and, and that's what's going to be interesting as we see it going forward is obviously there will be fewer opportunities for him to be a screener. Like Jakob Pertl is seven feet. He's, you know, wide. He, he's not a lob threat, but he certainly has great hands and can finish around the rim. Like there just aren't going to be as many opportunities for him. And with him, Siakam and Pertl on the floor, you would assume to start games. Again, we'll see once Fred Van Vliet comes back, but I would assume that Gary Trent Jr. would move to the bench when that happens. He's going to have to find those opportunities and um, not necessarily as a shooter or sorry, as a screener, but more in, you know, semi-transition off a, off a rebound and trying to take advantage of mismatches when when the defense is maybe back but hasn't manned up perfectly. Or he's going to have to take a few more corner threes than he's used to. Jonas Valanciunas had a sequence last night where he was basically six eight feet off of Barnes and it was one of those, you're going to let me take it. You're going to let me take it. Should I take it? Okay. I'll take it like sort of sequences that he, and he hit the three. Uh, but a lot of those are going to have to come in rhythm and, and he's going to have to, mm-hmm. you know, prove that he's not afraid to, to take those shots. And, you know, I, I think one of Scotty Barnes faults and, and something to the Raptors credits, they've tried to coach out of them, uh, since he got to Toronto is like, this is a guy who really loves passing and and finding his teammates. It's probably, it's probably the thing he loves doing the most. You could, you could see it by the way he plays and the way he shows joy and when he shows joy and that's fine, but you just have to get to a place where he's a bit more decisive as opposed to, you know, getting the ball and navigating because between him and Siakam and sometimes Van Vliet, there's just a lot of like getting the ball, either waiting for a screen or 
looking and waiting to see how the defense is tilting toward him or tilting towards some shooters. And, and you know, it's an imperfect fit, but that has to be part of what these last 22 games are about, is him seeing where the mismatches are a bit more quickly without him operating off of that sort of short roll. What can you what can you tell us about personality wise how he's fitting in with this Raptors group? Um, I mean, this hasn't been an overly happy group, and it's a you know now we're looking at two of the last three years being you know a quasi disappoint. I mean, the Tampa year was certainly a disappointment. It, it was you sure. know one of the weirdest years of any team in recent <laughs> NBA history. So, and yeah. I wasn't in Tampa, so I, I couldn't tell you. But like before these years, like this was a franchise that you know was one of the most consistent consistently successful franchises in the league. And and that's the franchise, the organization in in which Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi grew up in. And, you know, those are your leaders now. And so it just hasn't been Nick Nurse. Like he's, you know, he will work his guys. And it's a very high-intensity you know, you, you need a lot of effort. You need to give a lot of effort to play this defensive style. And when you're not getting the results, especially defensively, that was supposed to be this team's calling card. And it's it's been like they were coming into the, uh, the first game out of the break. They were 11th offensively and 17th, I believe, defensively. And mm-hmm. before the season, you know, I would have guessed something like 8th defensively and 20th offensively. So like the numbers sure. are reversed um and yeah. i would have even guessed like based on the talent that it it would have been more stark the difference uh, and i mean we know the stylistic reasons why they're able to hang offensively uh but i i think you know when there's <laughs> it's easy to be and i know i'm getting away from the question but it's easy to be happy and it's easy to be a pretty good uh teammate uh when things are going well and i, I remember Back uh, when I was writing for a newspaper, I did like a, a week in the life of Chuck Hayes when he was, you know, he the the week I, I talked to him, he was, I think he played one minute in four games and he's like, and the Raptors were struggling at the time. And he basically said, it's easy to be a good teammate and roll, like just be a good guy off the bench and, and whatever when things are going well, but when things aren't, it's like, why isn't this change happening? And why isn't this change happening? So I'm sure, you know, Barnes and everybody on the team want to see, you know, have their own idea for how things should change. And I don't think like he's been horribly disruptive or anything. I think like all the guys are, you know, a bit on edge and certainly we're on edge heading into the trade deadline. Uh, But, Mm -hmm. you know, now that they have a player who addresses, you know, some of their most glaring needs. Uh, we'll see how things go. But I, I don't think it's like a problematic locker room. It's just, you know, the vibes are off because it's an underachieving team. Yeah. I just am curious, just like from a leadership standpoint, just he he like kind of profiles as like their best player moving forward. And so I'm just curious as like from a leadership standpoint, yeah. he kind of like fits that. I'm, I mean, it's awkward because like you have a two-time All-NBA player in Pascal Siakam. Right. You have an All-Star and sure. one of like the great, you know, the most lauded leaders in the game and Fred Van Vliet, like, mm-hmm. 
a 21 year old isn't going to come in here uh, unless he's like the best player on the floor by by a wide margin and just take over the locker room and and so that's you know it's been tricky at times i think like there have been some discussions with the coaching staff and the front office i don't think it's like any wild egregious behavior and, and like really guys not getting along to a, like the nth degree or anything like that but mm-hmm. he is you know he's used to being a big personality in a locker room and you know, that's the awkward, you know, the, the plus side of him coming to a team with the Raptors and as many good players, uh, frontline players as the Raptors have is like, you don't have to do everything all at once. You don't have to be in the position Cade Cunningham was last year or the yeah. position Jalen Green sort of is, uh, you know, still to this yeah. point. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, you don't get to be that guy who's allowed to do that and everybody understands, okay, this is his team. So mm-hmm. there has to be some sort of, I don't want to say transition, but, you know, a, a, a equilibrium found. And I think they'll get there. Um, yeah. So Eric, after all the rumors at the deadline, the Raptors ended up being buyers, supporting the idea that Masai still believes in this current core to some extent. But with several free agents this summer, players up for extensions, do you feel like you have a good sense of what this team's long-term plan is? Like, would nothing shock you this summer, or are you feeling pretty confident that Toronto is going to commit to a few of these guys long-term? I mean, the only thing that would shock me is a total teardown, because you don't trade a first-round pick for, like, a solid starting center, and then just trade everybody except for Scotty Barnes. Like, that just wouldn't make sense. Um, I I mean, it's not like teams haven't shifted on a dime before, but it's usually teams who have some sort of change in ownership or front office and, and, you know, spoiler alert, that's not happening. So that's a, that's that, I guess that is something that would shock me, shock me is if the side just decided to leave, but I don't, that's Uh not a rumor. Don't aggregate it. It's, it's, (laughs) everything's fine. Um, But other than that, I wouldn't be surprised by anybody, whether it's, you know, Siakam, whether it's, you know, Ananobi, whether it's, I mean, Van Vliet and Trent along with Pirtle are the two, um, are the three unrestricted free agents, Van Vliet and Trent, if they um, opt out of their current, uh, of their player options for next year, which, you know, they likely will. And, you know, that's where the trade is really interesting because I've done the math. You can't sign all three of those guys to, um, you know, what we would establish, think their market would be, like Pirtle, maybe $18 million a year, Trent, maybe 20, 22, Fred, 25, something like that. Like, you can't do that and stay under the luxury tax, like the projected mm-hmm. luxury tax, I should say. Uh, so it's going to cost them something. Now, are they able to move a guy like Chris Boucher to a team with tap space and keep all of those guys? Maybe. Do they find a way to trade OG and Anobi in like a deal that's completed after the draft, like once the new NBA season has started and he's essentially traded into cap space for a young player and picks where you're not bringing back equal salary? Maybe. Um, but they, I mean, they are obvious, and obviously one of Van Vliet or Trent or Pirtle, although. I think Pirtle's probably the least likely at this stage, given what they've given up for him. Obviously, they're going to make a 
and given what, you know, small sample size again, but what his impact has been, I don't think he's really in danger of going anywhere. Um, but Van Vliet and Trent could walk. Like, you know, they're unrestricted free agents. The Raptors don't have matching rights or anything. So, I mean, of all those options, I don't, I don't know which one seems most likely, but, you know, th- that's mm-hmm. why them sort of acting as a buyer was really surprising. It wasn't so much that Masai Ujiri still has faith in his guys. Like, he, he likes the guys he's drafted. He likes the guys that the Raptors have developed. It just surprised me that the, the front office would put themselves in this obvious financial bind in the offseason where you're, you know, you go from maybe being one of the teams with the most leverage at the trade deadline and in terms of you, you have, I mean, I I think the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving things did legitimately change things. Not to say that the Raptors received worse offers because of it, but there were players who jumped the queue to being like the most Mm -hmm. in demand. Whereas before, like, OG Ananobi probably would have been the top player teams were trying to acquire. Uh, and uh, and obviously, as a side, who was maybe acquirable, let's say. Um, mm-hmm. And so that changed things. Um, but at the trade deadline, they undeniably, as a potential seller in a wide open year where there aren't many teams that are flat out giving up, they were obviously at a good leverage position and it's just hard to imagine them getting themselves back there this summer not to say trade offers won't be there necessarily but it's just from a financial perspective they can't you know undo that and so they will be in a tighter spot when it comes to making the salaries work because i think Masai Jerry has a lot of power but a reason he has so much power is like cuz he knows not to go into the luxury tax for a 500 team. <laughs> so right. yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, there won't be a shortage of speculation. There's already some around, you know, which teams are lining up for, for Fred Van Vliet. And uh, there, I mean, some of the rumors, some of the rumored teams we heard for OG Ananobi and maybe even Pascal Siakam, we're going to hear again. But the Raptors operate pretty stealthily. So uh, I'm... Uh, I'm intrigued, but certainly have uh, no real strong instinct on which way they're going to go in terms of who moves or how they move. And I don't think they know for sure either. Mm -hmm. So looking ahead to the stretch run, the Raptors have the fifth most difficult remaining schedule based on opponent winning percentage with the addition of Pirtle, Pirtle era number two, and what you've seen from him so far. Have your expectations for this season significantly changed? I mean, before the trade deadline, I, it was easy to see them, you know, pulling a Tampa tank part two and, and you yeah, know, shutting yeah. some of the guys. Now, that was always going to be a problem with Siakam because his, you know, if he makes an all NBA team, which isn't out of the question, I would say, uh, you know, mm-hmm. third team, not out of, out of the question. I wouldn't put him there right now, but it's possible uh, he it changes what his extension uh, or potential deal could be. Um, let's put that aside from now. It was easy to see them going that way. Now, obviously, it's harder to see them doing that. Um, they do have a tough schedule, but their last three games are Boston, Boston, Milwaukee, which could either be mm. huge games for those teams or it could be 
relatively meaningless games for those teams. Mm-hmm. So the, yep. the strength of schedule thing is, I, I don't think all that, you know, telling from that perspective. Um, sure. I, you know, if I had to pick, I, I'd say they'll end up eighth or ninth and be in the play-in just because it's hard to make up four, four and a half games on over 500 teams and 20 games. But uh, yeah, so do they have a 17 and six run in them to like creep up to seventh or maybe even sixth? It's sort of, I'm going to have to see them beat some, you know, better quality opposition that I've seen them beat during this right. this little run. But with yeah. Pirtle, you know, the floor should become a lot higher um, because like they were playing some truly horrendous defense uh, at various points this season. And it, it was just never reliable. Like any given half, they could go out and, and give up 70 points and it wouldn't be surprising. And Pirtle just brings the floor up, you know, that if they're given up 125 or 130 in a night, something has gone terribly wrong. Whereas before it's mm-hmm. just, you know, this roster is limited in certain ways. So I expect them to be more competent. I just don't think there's enough time for that competence to, you know, get them. If it's, if it could get them to six, it will be just barely. And frankly, I I don't think that's terribly realistic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, Eric, uh, thank you so much for answering our questions about the Raptors. It is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, our weekly trivia show where Andrew goes head-to-head with an NBA beat writer this week, Eric Kareen, Raptors beat writer at The Athletic. Now, uh, Eric, how this works, I've come up with eight trivia questions about the Raptors. Some are easy, some are hard. You're going to give me a number between one and eight. It'll correspond to a question. If you get it right, you'll get at least two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one, and we're going to go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. 
So all I need from you to start off with is a number between one and eight. Oh, I'm going to be exposed now. Um, <laughs> let's go with um, let's go with five. Question number five. According to Cleaning the Glass, who on the Raptors has the best on-off number at plus 11.3? Is there a minutes limit here? There is not. Christian Coloco. Eric, that is absolutely correct for two points. <laughs> Christian Coloco. Plus Was Pirtle in there? Three. Um... You know what? I don't know why he wasn't in there because when I was looking at the league he as a actually whole, sh- I think it should be Pirtle. But yeah, he uh, was at the very top. I don't know why I didn't see him because yeah, I sorted. But yeah, he was he, like a t- is he like at the very bottom? Like they don't they don't allow him to like factor in yet because he hasn't played enough that, minutes. That might be it because yeah, he's like a plus twenty something. Below. I should get yeah, extra yeah. points now that I've answered the question correctly <laughs> wow. in two different ways. Extra points, Andrew. What do you think about that? Would you like to give uh, him an extra point? N- no way, Jose. Okay, uh, Andrew, board is yours. Uh, Number one. Question number one. Pascal Siakam is currently averaging over 25 points per game. How many other Raptors have averaged at least 25 per game in a season in franchise history? You don't have to tell me who the players are. just have to give me the number of players in Raptors franchise history who have had at least one season averaging 25 per game. Okay. And you can talk it out if you want. It doesn't really matter. Because you don't have to name the names to get it right. You just have to give me a number. And we're five. not including Pascal. Uh, you said five. That's high. We're not including Pascal? We're not including Pascal. There's other okay, rappers. Four. four. You like to go with four. Well, uh, both of those answers, incorrect. Andrew, <laughs> Eric, you have a chance to steal for one point. Uh, all right. Let's try to show off here. Uh, I don't know wow. that I'll get it. Um, Ooh, Vince definitely off. did. Yeah. I believe Kawhi did in his one season. Mm-hmm. So the question becomes, did DeMar or Bosch? Uh, DeMar I'll say three. didn't? I'll say three. Three is correct. And those were the three names. Chris Bosch never did it. Uh, what, what I was surprised me was never that did it. DeRozan only did it once in all those years. He was very really? close. I mean, he averaged like Bosch never did it. Yeah, in fact, VC wow. did it twice. Kawhi did it once. DeRozan did it once. Pascal could be, potentially be the fourth to do it once. Wow. Kind of okay. surprising. Okay, Eric, you have a commanding lead and you have control of the board. Uh, four. Question number four. Ooh, this is a fun one. What is Thaddeus Young's career high in a single game? Now, before you answer, you can choose oh, who answers no. first. So you can make Andrew answer first and then go higher or lower. But if he gets it exactly correct, he is going to get a bonus point. Or you could guess first, and then Andrew will go higher or lower. Career high for Thaddeus Young. I did know this at some point because I did a QA. and uh, a Maybe I shouldn't be saying this. Maybe I should be playing dumb. Uh, I, don't, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. I'll... I'll guess first. Okay. And I will say 30. 30 points is the benchmark, Andrew. Would you like to go higher or lower? Higher. Higher. Well, he did it against the Toronto Raptors. And the number was 32. Ah, Andrew gets the point. 
Yes. Back on the board, Andrew. Back in the game. Where back would you like to game. go, Andrew? Give me number two. Question number two. Fred Van Vliet is a uh, former all-star. Career 40% shooter overall. Who was the last NBA player before Fred to be a career 40% shooter and also make at least one all-star team? Career 40%. Career 40%. Oh, my word. So they had to be a career 40% and make an all-star game, and they were the most recent to do it. Got to be a chucker. Some kind of chucker. Some kind of chucker. Hmm. Huh. Are you calling Fred Van Vliet a chucker? Because uh, large yeah, Andrew, portions of Raptors Twitter will agree with you. <laughs> I, I definitely am. <laughs> oh man, this is a that's a really tough question, Al. I don't think it is. I think it's actually pretty uh, pretty easy, actually, because I'm looking at the answer and I'm like, hmm, I, was gonna I say, get that. That, that makes, makes sense. sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot. I can't think of who would be. A, I would guess that this is probably like a one or two time All Star. Probably. Oh, no hints. Okay. Okay. Any guesses, Gosh. Andrew? You just throw out a name. I just all I can see is Nick Young's face, and I know he never made an All Star <laughs> team, but like that's the only face that I yeah, see pl- whenever. Please I'm, guess Nick Young. I'm not going to guess Nick Young. Okay. Um. Right. What about Stephon Marbury? Stefan Marbury, pretty good guess, but it's wrong. Eric, you have a chance to steal for one point. I have no strong feeling on this. I, I sort of, I agree with Andrew that it's probably a one or two time All-Star, mm. um, but I can't think of any great examples, so I'm going to guess Allen Iverson. Well, uh, not only were they not a one-time All-Star, they are a Hall of Famer, 10-time All-Star, five-assist champion, 2011 NBA champion. It is Jason Kidd. Jason. Oh, Kidd. yeah, that makes sense. Because he just you, only sense. he only took threes at the end of his career. Yeah, just just a bad shooter. Yeah, just a bad. Not not really <laughs> not a chucker. A chucker. Uh, not a chucker. Okay, Eric, you have shooter. control of the board. You're up by two. Uh, give me three. Question number three. There are currently five Raptors averaging at least 15 points per game, which is the fourth season in a row that Toronto has accomplished that feat. The first year they did it was the 2019-20 season. Who were the five Raptors to average 15 points per game in the 2019-20 season? Oh, my word. Uh, Siakam. Okay, that's one. Van Vliet. Okay. Lowry. Three. There are six or seven or three or four more options. I'm just uh, trying to nail them down here. I will say Norm Powell and Serge Ibaka. That was a clean sweep for Eric. He got both two points. Both two points. He got both points. Wow. And he has taken a commanding five to one lead. Andrew. If you're going to make a comeback, you got to start now. Uh, number six. Question number six. Which of the... It's not going to start now. Which of the <laughs> following is not an official nickname of a Raptors player on basketballreference.com? Oh, no. I'm going to read out five nicknames. Four of them okay. are real and on Basketball Reference. One of them is not. Here we mm-hmm. go. Steady Freddy. Scotch Bonnet. Jake Puddle. Swatterboy. And Slim Duck. 
Once again, that is Steady Freddy, Scotch Bonnet, Jake Puddle, <laughs> Swatter Boy, and Slim Duck. Some great names. So, Scott, what is it? Scotch what? Scotch Bonnet. Scotch Bonnet. I've never heard Scotch Bonnet. I'll say Scotch Bonnet. I've just you've heard, you've heard, heard of that. the other ones? You, you've heard of Slim Duck? You've heard of Swatter Boy? I just can't. I just. I mean, I've heard those words before in my life. I've just never heard Scotch Bonnet before. Uh, Andrew, that is absolutely correct. Scotch Bonnet is a nickname for Scotty Barnes that has been thrown out there. Uh, apparently, the Scotch Bonnet is a type of pepper, hot pepper. Yeah, uh, but, not, but it not has a, not made its yeah. way to Basketball Reference yet. The last so, two, uh, the last two were Chris Boucher. Yes, and Jake Puddle, great oh. name for Jakob Puddle. I have yeah. heard Jake Puddle before. No, that that was from. Uh, Game of Zones. Um, yes. I believe it was a reference uh, from Game of Zones uh, involving the inflatable raptor and Kawhi. Um, oh, so that was the first era, <laughs> the first Pirtle era. Yeah, because Masai <laughs> gives up uh, Pirtle very willingly to uh, uh, to the... Well, I forget the storyline now. But uh, what was the first one? What was the first one? Uh, first one was Steady Freddy. Yeah. Steady Freddy. That, yeah. Which, which, is which I find, you know... We were talking about under 40% career shooters. Yeah. And yet, uh, Herbie Coon, the Raptors public address uh, announcer, insists on calling him Steady Fred. Now, there are other ways to be. I, I'm a Fred Van Vliet fan. There are, um, there are other ways to be steady. I just find it funny that there are so many fans angry at this guy's, you know, unsteadiness. Uh, and this is his official basketball reference nickname. Anywho. Uh, Way to stay well, in the Eric, game, Andrew. We, uh, we have a game on our hands now. You're yeah. only up by two. There's yeah. two questions left, number seven or number eight. One of them is non-basketball related, so good luck. Well, I'm sticking with odd numbers. I'm going seven. All right, here we go. The Raptors' name was, of course, influenced by the 1993 blockbuster movie Jurassic Park. So let's test your trivia knowledge about this popular movie. Oh, In the movie, dinosaur DNA is created by extracting ancient DNA from mosquitoes and using DNA from this animal to fill in the missing genomes. What is the common animal whose DNA is used to create dino DNA? Definitely don't know this. Um, have you seen the movie? Are you a fan of, of the I've movie? seen the movie. I'm definitely not a fan. Um, oh, not a fan. <laughs> not, I'm not actively like against it. Just like mm. it, it wasn't, you know, formative for me. Uh, it's not something I go back to consistently. So you don't um, remember the exact recipe from the movie? How no, they made like I definitely DNA. don't. Um, okay, recipe. <laughs> uh, let's say... Do I need to be more specific than lizard? Uh, uh no. Because I'm wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'll just, I, I can't get a second guess after that. I will play fair. Okay. I, I, yeah. Andrew, you have a chance to steal for one point. Do you remember? Was it formative for you growing up? So was it a frog? Oh, Andrew, it was a frog. Wow. Yes. Frog DNA. Okay, that brings us to our final question. This is going to decide the winner, okay? And this is very exciting. This is a great question to end on. Okay. J.E. Skeets and Tass Mellis of No Dunks began their NBA podcasting careers with the Basketball Jones, which debuted 
during the 05-06 NBA season. There were 17 players who played for the Raptors that season, and we're going to name them all. So how this works, Andrew's going to give me a name. Any Raptor who played for the 05-06 Raptors, and then Eric will give me a name. We'll go back and forth until one of you stumbles, and because of how it's set up, whoever wins this question will win the week. Um, Chris Bosh. Chris Bosh is correct to Eric. Morris Peterson. That is correct. Back to Andrew. Is it already getting tough, Andrew, or you still you got some names? Uh, I've got some names. I've got okay. some names. I think Joey Graham was on this team still. Joey Graham was on this team. Back Oklahoma to Oklahoma State alumni. Go Pokes. Charlie Villanueva. That is correct. Back to Andrew. Uh, was Jose Calderon on this team? Jose Calderon was on this team. Back to Eric. Look at you guys. You know so much about the 05-06 Raptors. This was, this was my NBA prime. This is like <laughs> like fully locked into NBA Live 06 just every single day after school. Jalen Rose. Jalen Rose was on the team. Back to Andrew. Um, I think Matt Bonner was on this team. Wow, Andrew. Very impressive. He was on the team. Back to Eric. You guys have named seven of the 17 already. And we are definitely in the deep cuts section yeah. at this point. <laughs> See, I have one that I'm trying to save, but <laughs> I, think to I, save ha- it. I think I have to use it now. Uh, okay, who is it? Rafael Arujo. That is correct. (laughs) Andrew, do you have one more Raptor in you? Uh, I can't remember if he was on this team or not, but um, was Mike James on this Raptors team? (laughs) That was the Andrew. This is one of your most impressive answers ever. Mike James was on the Raptors. You have sent it back. To Eric, he has already used the nervous. name he I was holding on to. What era? Like what? I knew he was on a Raptors team around that time, but I couldn't remember if it was. So there are eight names left. Uh, I of course listed them by how much they played. These are the bottom eight names. So oh God! Some of these guys only played a couple <laughs> games, but there's still some names, sort of, that you might remember. Yeah. This could this could be for the win, Eric. No, I gotta stay alive here. Uh there's no way Andrew if Andrew knows another name after this, he is cheating. There's no way he would know another one. I definitely don't have one like left in the canon. <laughs> oh, this is this is bad. There were some bad centers on that team and Okay. Narrowing it down. Yeah. Um, but the one I can really think of was from the year before, and I mm. don't think he had a second year. How about Euro Schlocker? Excuse me? Euro Schlocker. I have never U-R-O-S-S-L-O-K-A-R. Uh, Euro Schlocker. Was not on the 05 yes! 06 Raptors, which means Andrew comes from behind, wins the week six to five. The other names 
was Pop, Pop Sow. So? Oh, God yeah. damn it. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Derek Martin. So. Eric Derek Williams. Martin. Oh. Lauren, Lauren Woods. Oh, uh, Eric Williams. Andre Barrett. Aaron Williams. Uh, Antonio Davis. And Alvin Williams. A lot of Williams. There were th- three oh, Williams left. See, I yeah. I thought of the Vince trade, but I honestly didn't know if the Williams, they, they're not brothers, but for Raptors fans, yeah, the Williams yeah. brothers, Aaron and Eric, had stuck around that long. Um, yeah, did they survive? Yeah. Cause, but uh, they had, anyway. They are at the very of bottom of the list, so they probably played a handful of games. Oh, oh man. damn. <laughs> wow, that was a thrilling <laughs> conclusion to Andrew versus the Beast. Well, well, congratulations. <laughs> I I picked wrong. I should have picked eight, and then I would have won. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely would have. Uh, Eric, thanks so much for coming on the show. Go read everything Eric writes on The Athletic. Thanks so much for coming on, man. All right. Have a good weekend, guys. All right, Andrew. That was Raptors Week. Raptors, Raptors Weeks, Andrews. Two weeks. <laughs> Raptors. <laughs> Wapper's <laughs> week. Um, okay, so we have, let me see here on our board. We have our wheel. We have 16 names left. Okay. There are some scary names here. San Antonio. Yeah. <laughs> we got Spurs. We got Detroit. We got Charlotte still on the board. Oh, brother. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I'd like to hold off on them until the draft if, if, if the wheel is listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's go ahead let's and spin the, the wheel. Time. See who we get. This week's Wheel oh. of Fandom team will be... Oh, the Atlanta oh, Hawks. Well, that's, that's timely. Timely to bring wow. in a new coach. What a nice it's surprise. Exciting. This is where some people will think that the wheel is fixed. That's true. Because but, there's... Uh, we're on... We're, this is going to be on YouTube, so people can just look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, speaking of, subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Athletic NBA Show. There's lots of good content up there. We, uh, we made a ton of videos while we were in Salt Lake, so go check those out. Uh, hey, if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we'll read it right here on the show, just like this one from Fritz Rappapack in the United States. Your favorite podcaster's favorite podcast. Five-star shouts to friends, DeFore, Black Trey, and Harper that brought me into the world of The Athletic. Every show on this feed is unique, which makes it the best, especially if you always listen to basketball pods of what more depth, in-depth discussion and analysis Buds is easily the most fun ensemble. Tampering is for the pros. Hoops adjacent is basketball humanities class. Nerder makes you sound smart. And Slam and Jam is the most fun. I had a review, so I reviewed it. Thanks so much for that review. Uh, Also, this one comes from Dubs Fan. Says, good variety of content. Five stars, good variety of content. Thank you so much for the five-star review. This next one. Comes from uh, Naji Boy in the U.S. of A. Consistent only podcast to drop seven days a week. Ads aren't annoying. They don't ramble off on non-sports stuff for very long. Funny. Thanks so much for that review as well. Leave us a five-star review. And we'll read it right here on the show. Hope you guys have an awesome weekend. And we will talk to you guys again next week.